Just got fitted for a tuxedo with the black tux. I'm Smitty, and this is Talking Schmidt. Today on the show is Jeremy Ray. Hey guys, I don't ask for much, but uh, please hit the subscribe button on both YouTube and the iTunes store. Leave a comment or a positive uh, review if you can. It really helps the show grow. Not asking for a lot, not charging anything, but these simple things can help a lot. Just trying to spread the word and bring in those advertising dollars so we can keep it going. Speaking of advertising, support for Talking Schmidt is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, kids. It's the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. We're going to give you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code shout out at manscape.com just type in the code shout out and the rest is smooth sailing imagine shaving with a sleek well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom i'll tell you this i'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and i'm blown away by the performance the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's right, kids. Advanced skin safe technology. Now you can feel confident shaving those family jewels. Did I mention wireless charging? Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, You've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code shout out, shout out. at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code shout out. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Shout out. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to Rainy and the boys out there in uh, the East Bay, Oakland, California. I went over there last week and checked out the new skate shop, Break Free. It's open, I think, Wednesday through Sunday. You might want to check their Instagram, Break Free Skate Shop, but uh, go check it out. All right. It is the Tao of Skateboarding book, Rolling Through Life, A Skateboard Philosophy by the author that brought us Trim Camp, Mr. A.E. Gold. This book is a culmination of eight years interpretation from the Tao Te Ching. It is written for all the mothers out there who have children who enjoy skateboarding. And I'm going to read one of my favorite verses. Verse six, spirit. The spirit of skateboarding never dies. It is the infinite sidewalk to mysteries within mysteries. It is the seed of yin, the spark of yang. Always elusive, endlessly available. This thing's 43 pages. Bryce, 
you know you need a copy. Get this book. I think you can Google it. It's out on Amazon, but maybe other bookstores. It's a fun read. I read it one afternoon, but you can keep rereading it. The Towel of Skateboarding book, Rolling Through a Skateboard Philosophy. Get your copy today. Big thank you to all you shops out there. And if you're not on this wall, there is room for you. So just send me a goddamn sticker so I can get it up there. We got some new merchandise. It's being made and it's only available at shops to start. And I want to thank you guys that actually helped make the run possible. That's you, Filter Skate Shop, Deluxe SF, Ignition, Brian Sieber, always helpful, Solstice, Out East, Big Love, Kingpin in the 209, Backdoor, fuck dude, you guys have supported us so much. I got mad love for Backdoor and I, I need to get out to your neck of the woods and kick back and do some skateboarding with y'all. Perma Vodka. Chet Childress Territory out in Wilmington. Thank you. Atlas, always a big support in San Mateo, California. Society, you just jumped on board. That's my hometown, San Carlos, California. Thank you much. Crown, big love to Greg and the boys down there. Gateworks, Drubing, your family for life, you know that. Subsect, we finally broke the Iowa border, kids. Thanks to Subsect and thanks to Nate Sherwood who Apparently is going to be placing an order within the minute. Hold on. Hold on. We just got the order. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Edgescape CR. Talking Schmidt coming to Iowa. <laughs> Boom. Mortal Skate Shop down in Arizona. Slappies. You know what time it is. San Diego. I got brown and yellow for you Padre fans. And uh, Holistic out east. We got Black Market up north in Seattle. Classic Skate Shop up in Reno. Stoked to get you some stuff up there ASAP Ferg. We still have some of the Shrunken Head Talking Schmidt beanies at TalkingSchmidt.com. Help support a great shop and a pretty great podcast. Oh, man. And in some real sad news, um, Corey Lawrence, Kansas City resident, Vert Hero took a horrible slam last week, and I just got the text just now that he has passed, sadly. They do have a GoFundMe account set up to support Corey's wife and children through this devastating time. I will include a link in both the notes below. Literally just got the text just now while I was recording this. Um Stay strong, everyone. My thoughts and prayers go out to all the close friends and family. I'm sure whatever you can do would be greatly appreciated. Wow. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Well, as you know, this episode is dedicated to Jonas Ray. And now, another first impression with Timothy Donald McKenney. First impressions. I kind of just want to start out uh, with a couple of remembrances. First of all, Nolly 180 heel flip over the table. Complete opposites of your bro. Shirt, first person rocking a Burger King hat on anything. 
Pretty sure, dude, that was you. Could have sworn there was one of Jonas pumping gas with a fucking Burger King hat. This is my first impression, though, Jonas was like fucking about a year ago at the El Granada ramp. And I, he was passing out the, the he was call, I forget what he was calling him. He's calling like chilling glasses or whatever. He had the Ray Brothers glasses. He's handing out shit to the kids. And I just sat back and watched him. But I saw nothing but man and nothing but a cool ass dude with a lot of confidence. You could tell he was a confident ass dude. I actually got to feel his, his aura and his energy. But more importantly, Nolly 180 heel flips over the fucking table. Bottom line. Shout out. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, sorry, Jeremy, dude. Fucking god of the Ollie, bro. All right, what's up? This is Jeremy Ray, and you're watching Talking to Schmidt. Enjoy. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cause turn, right? Now. All big dogs in. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I be shit my pants. Man. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. All right, well, the list of legends that come to this show keeps growing. This one, it needs no introduction to any of you in the skate world, world especially. This is Jeremy Ray, kids. How you doing, Jeremy? So far, so good. I'm holding up all right. I'm going to let the Dodger hat slide. We're usually uh, anti-LA Dodgers on the program, but for you, we'll give a little exception. <laughs> I used to rock the um, Boston Red Sox hat. Oh, really? Just for strictly for the B. I never really cared about baseball. You know, yeah. I played kid, but you know, we grew up in LA, so we'd go to Dodger games if anything with the, my sure. grandpa like that. But even then, like, I never got that into sports other than skateboarding. Yeah, that's Andrew Reynolds. He's always got like some random baseball hat on. He's like, I, I don't know. I just like the color combo. Right. <laughs> the design, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I just like the design and I needed a hat. My, uh-huh. my ring one got a little sweated out from skating in it too much. So I needed a, a clean replacement for now while we're waiting to get the new ones in. Okay. Wait, you, where were you born? Born in Carmel, California. Really? At, a, at Fort Ord. No way. Military base over there. Like uh, by, me by, and were born in Fort Ord. By Monterey. Yep. Huh. Yep there for maybe a couple of years before getting stationed elsewhere because our dad was in the army so he would always bounce around so every two years he'd get somewhere new uh, okay from there we went to indianapolis and then we went to um north carolina then florida and then back to california where was it that you found your first skateboard not till we got back to california that we owned a skateboard in florida one of the neighbors had one like one of those little yellow plastic banana boards and we'd cruise on that just in the street, but it was more like someone would bring it out. And we'd take turns just pushing around on it. So uh-huh. that wasn't like really skating. When we got to Glendale and owned our first boards, that was that was when we'd get skating together. Did you, did you guys, you and your brother, you're talking about, right? You guys start together? Yeah, um, we have our older brother, Jazz, too. He was the one who had the first skateboard. Okay. So, 
he was the influence. Gonna get you on your yeah, end. It's fine. I got a dog that'll bark too eventually. Yeah, we got a bird dog over here. So anytime she sees a bird or, or even someone walking by, she'll uh, spark it up. Was that your dog's honey out there? He said. Yeah, my dog. Uh, it's my fiance's his name, Honeybee. Yeah, Penny's hanging out just right by the pool. <laughs> Is it named after Tom Penny? No, uh, it was a uh, short for Penelope. Oh, okay. Little pup. She was like the size of my hand. And uh, yeah, she, just, she got named Penelope, but she's been Penny her whole life anyway. Nice sticker job back there. You like <laughs> it? Yeah. Which one's your favorite? Can you see them? <laughs> Skateworks popped out. That's the one that um, Colt Cannon always used to rock on his boards. And now, another first impression with Colt Michael Cannon. Hey, Schmitty, what's going on? It's Colt. Of course, me growing up with watching Jeremy Ray, you think of secondhand smoke. Just the opening scene of him uh, just doing that line 360 flip uh, down some stairs, this huge, massive kickflip that took little to no effort for the guy, and then him frontside flipping the, the Carlsbad gap. I mean, that whole video part um, kind of shot him up to godlike uh in a status, I guess you'd say, of me growing up. And I would say when I when I first met Jeremy, you know, through just random demos, uh, you know, I was writing for Think at the time, um, you know, he was literally just the nicest guy. He was larger than life when I was growing up. And here I am skating a demo with Jeremy Ray. And he's actually shaking my hand, looking me in the eye and, you know, he, I think he even knew my name, which was, uh, I was like starstruck and uh, thrown back on. And then uh, fast forward a couple years later, you know, we're on uh, King of the Road and, you know, just hanging out in a van for, you know, a couple weeks. And it just amplifies as the most down to earth guy I've ever met. Um, you know, him just super easy to talk to. I mean, if he's struggling with a trick, I've never seen him take it out on a skateboard. Um, you know, he really, I wouldn't say internalizes, uh, you know, frustration, but like he, you know, he just has a calming outlet of being able to focus and uh, just concentrate when he's, uh, when he's trying to skate. And it's, uh, it's very rare to see. And so, you know, Jeremy Ray, you know, just get to know him through all the, the element tours and whatnot. Uh, you know, the the nicest guy, the, the coolest down to earth, you know, uh, professional I've ever met. So, you know, I, I apologize. I, I don't have a lot, Schmitty, but, um, you know, that's, that's what I could piece together. So I hope that's enough. Um, and I hope you're doing great. And no worries if uh, none of this is usable. But hey, just uh, good to see you out there uh, getting this coverage for everyone. So I'm in. Take care. That's cool. I'm getting some uh, Jonas stickers made up. Um, I made a, a Shaka logo for Jonas that says like his name in the Shaka. Fuck yeah. So be showing up any day now. So I could send you one of those when they come in. For you. Oh, for I, you. Would, I would love that. That'd be amazing. The stuff you did looks cool. I like the, um, the hammocky uh, camera. Yeah, as I was doing the thing for Jonas, um, yeah, I realized just I was thinking about Joe. He was on my mind, too, because uh, he I think he passed away the very next day. 
I thought it was brother. the same day. I was just like, it could oh. be. Oh, it was. It was really close after. That yeah. Joe, yeah. Jonas was on the 11th, so I don't know if Joe was the 12th or not. I heard about it on the 12th, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, just he was on my mind, and then that popped in my head as far as doing the camera with the Joe. You know, three letter word with the O in the middle made a perfect camera. Dude, and uh-huh. the camera that he used to use, and um, it was one of the the Nikon ones. So I just put. Kameki is, isn't as close lettering as I could get to the Nikon lettering, and it just came out cool looking. Yeah, it was still kind of rough, but um, I think I liked it wiggly like that, kept it a little loose. Yeah, you know? that's how he would have liked it for sure, too. Yeah, his uh, his wife hit me up, she wanted to make some shirts for her and the kids. I said, Go for it, do whatever you want. Yeah, that's yeah. where you got okay, sick. Yeah, yeah, I've been talking to them a lot there. Pretty strong. I mean, I, I know she's putting everything she has into the kids, so it might be a little bit denial or something, whatever. Everybody has their different ways of grieving, but uh, yeah, she seems like she's holding well, it, it together. Forces you just to focus on what they need, and you can't you can't stop and go into your little cave and hide. Yeah, because I got my kids here too, and just you know they need you. They need you more than ever now that someone else is gone. So yeah, yeah you have to be there for them, and um, it keeps you focused. You know. Yeah, it's been rough. Um, so you guys started rolling around because your older brother had the influence? Yeah, Jazz got the first board. And um, I know he had a Vision Old Ghost. I don't know if that was his first board or if that's just the one that I remember him having the most. But um, yeah, once he had one, we would take turns and just ride down the local hill that led down to our house. And all three of us were taking turns on one board, just even like sitting down and buttboarding down the hill. So we would like, you know, ride down pretty far, walk back up. And the two other of us are just waiting our turn. Then the next one to ride down, walk it back up. And we're just kind of learning the ropes of it. But um, yeah, eventually Jonas saved up and got his board next. And then my birthday was coming up in like another month or two. So I waited and I got one on my eighth birthday. And um, I ended up with a Volterra shattered model. I don't know if you remember the old Volterra boards. They were like kind of toy store setups at the time. Uh-huh. But it, it got me rolling and, uh, you know, I had the full 80s get up with the nose, nose guard and skid plate and rails and all that. And were there skate parks or anything around that you like would see as a kid and be like, "Ooh, I, I got to get in there somehow. Or When we first started, we didn't even know anything about skate parks. I didn't know they, that they existed. Uh-huh. I hadn't seen a skateboard magazine, hadn't seen a video. But um, within the next few years, we linked up with other skaters in the area. And um, I think it was our buddy, Matt Marcus, and also our friend, Danny Aldrich. They were the ones that were already kind of clued into Pipeline and Upland. So we went out there with them, you know, got our memberships and we just get dropped off and skate all day. So we'd mostly skate the launch bowl at that point. But um, we learned how to ride the big bowls and stuff. Were you aware that there were these dudes that had their names on boards and they were pro and like this level that was like a big, a big difference from where you guys were? Well, I think being around pipeline, you kind of just hear like people talking and like you'd see Salba. It was Malba that came through. Okay. That's Mickey Alba. And he would be skating one of the big bowls and everyone kind of stop and just check it out. And uh, you just hear the buzz going around the park. Like so-and-so's here. Uh And, uh, yeah, but I remember Malva early on being one of the ones that we saw. And then um, I remember someone cruising in, and I still don't remember to this day who it was. They went in and dropped into the combi and did a padless 
no helmet McTwist in the round part of the combi, like about head high out. And it was just like, I didn't know anything about that, but it looked amazing. Uh-huh. And I remember him looking a little bit like I remember Chris Miller looking, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. Okay. So it was just someone, someone in that era that, that had it. It could have even been Billy Ruff for all I know. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't know who was who or what was what back then, but I just remember seeing that being just shocked, you know, as we're just kick turning on the tile, trying to figure it out. Seeing right. that was, was it mostly kind of like kids in your school and stuff that you ended up bonding with that kind of like helped you figure out that like, were you looking at magazines or videos? Were you just talking about it at school or was it just the feeling of doing it? Like having your own deal. Yeah. I just, I remember seeing my first magazine. It was a thrasher magazine. And from what I remember, it had Steve Caballero on the cover doing an indie grab and like um, black and white checkerboard pattern in the background. Check. But when I look back for it, I might be confusing two of them because I, I remember seeing another one with the checkered background, but it wasn't cab like I remember doing an indie. So, but that was definitely my first magazine. And um, it was actually at our friend Matt Marks's house. Every time I went over there, I'd be looking through this magazine. And he's like, I've looked through that you know, hundreds of times. So if you want it, you can take it home. I was like, really? So I got to take that home and really study it and check it out, see all the different brands and, you know, logos and faces and all the tricks in there. And um, that was my first introduction to like what real skateboarding looked like. Okay. But then as far as actually doing it, we were just skating around the streets of Glendale and we'd just roll from our front yard and go skate. And um, I remember we were just learning how to ollie. The, the first time we had a ever heard of an ollie didn't know what it was called our older brother jazz had seen someone ride down the street in front of our house and hit the little curb cut and in our neighborhood they were a little bit bigger so they're almost like a good little cement launch ramp uh-huh. and he said that this dude rolled full speed got to the top of it hit his tail and got him and his board in the air without grabbing it and landed back on it and rode away and he was telling this story to me and jonas and we were calling bullshit right off the bat. Like, no, way. that's not possible, you know, and just didn't believe it. And uh-huh. then uh, it was probably a few months later, we were down at the Eagle Rock Plaza and we were just skating through the underground parking lot. And this uh, Hessian dude rolls up with his shirt tucked into his like shorts, like 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 a Hasoi style with long hair. And he just looked at us rolling through the parking lot. He's like, hey, do you guys know how to ollie? We're like, Allie, what's that? And then he showed us and he did the ollie, probably ollie like, you know, maybe a foot or a foot and a half off the ground on this old, you know, 80s shape. And we were like, whoa, that's the thing that Jazz was talking about. So me and Jonas like saw it firsthand, like it's real, it exists. And they're like, all right. So we're like, nope, we don't know how, but we're going to learn. And from then on, we just started figuring it out and learning. And uh, huh. there was like a curb up in the neighborhood by Matt Marcus's house and a few of our other buddies lived up there. And um, they'd bring out the lawn ramp every now and then. But that was the curb. Everyone was trying to ollie up for their first curb ollie. And uh, I think they were even just ollieing into grass off the street to see if you could clear it up the curb. And then after you could get that, you could do it on, you know, curbs everywhere. Right. But we went all the way up there just to specifically learn it on that curb. You know, it was like a good regular curb height because the ones in our neighborhood were too big. Did you start out just kind of doing the 90 degree into the curb, like to try to like pressure yourself up onto it? Or were you straight going straight or what were you? We were trying to go straight at that point. I remember trying to ollie on flat ground and the first ollies would always shift D90 because you like just normally want to straighten your body out and land for facing forward. Uh-huh. But yeah, I do remember 
trying to fight that urge to just turn your shoulder and open up and almost do because right when you're learning it, you're like, oh, 180s are almost easier. So yeah. Just naturally go at least 90. Uh-huh. But then figure out how to straighten it out and just keep it sideways. Yeah. More shoulders than anything, I guess, you know. Damn. Okay. Figure it out. Was there a moment after that that you kind of remember going, hmm, I'm pretty good at this or like, I just want to fucking like like scene contest maybe or whatever it was where you're like, huh, I want to get some of that. Well, I remember it was a few years later we got to enter our first contest. It was like a basic junk jam at some school. And um, I think it was five bucks to enter. So mm. we went down there and paid our fee and just skated in it. I, I think I ended up getting third in my division. Oh, and okay. uh, that's when I realized, oh, like, this is not that bad. And they gave me a prize for it. I think I got, like, some free skate product or something for it. So, yeah, it was just cool. And then after that, we ended up entering more of the local contests. And um, I think Jonas and I both ended up with first and seconds a lot of the time um, yeah. after that. Just um, figuring it out because we... We built a quarter pipe in our front yard and our driveway had a big rollover that went down really steep. So you put the quarter pipe at the bottom and you almost got like a, a pretty good little half pipe going, you know, mm-hmm. it was steep enough to where after you came off the quarter pipe, you could pump the driveway and go back up for another hit. So you okay. could definitely get you know, that quarter pipe over and over. And uh, it was a heavy quarter pipe to move. So it was a pain in the butt trying to get it down the driveway. I don't think we put skate trucks on the side of it or anything yet. So it was just brute like, strength just dragging it down there right and of course, move it whenever the parents came home and needed to park in the driveway so i gotta yank it back out of the way yeah but uh, it was a cool little spot and uh some of the locals helped us on you know the size and transition and how to build it and stuff but that was our first ramp i remember when we built our first one it was just two by four to two by four to two by four and like yeah. it, it was just cha-cha-tang. and then Somehow somebody showed us the transition and we're like yeah, oh, was game changer. ours was legit right off the bat. The only problem we had is um, it was one layer and it was plywood. Oh. And it was wide enough that we put the plywood sheets sideways. So there was a seam right in the middle. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we even did line it up with a two by four behind it. But it started getting splintered. So it ended up getting like a hole just from the different pressure. And that seam, you know, we didn't layer it with masonite or anything. Just two raw sheets of plywood to make the ramp. Okay. So you definitely hit that seam in the middle every time. Right. But uh but we still learned the basics on it. It was good for us to have that, you know. What was the age difference for you and Jonas? One year. Yeah, One I was I'm a middle child. Jazz was three years older than me. Three years. And then, uh, yeah, me and then Jonas one year younger than me. So did you, I mean, with all three of you, was there like a camaraderie or was there like a competitiveness or like how was it like growing up with the brothers? Well, the, the three-year age difference was pretty significant at the end because, like, he was in, you know, middle school when we were in elementary school over there. So mm. he was already, you know, driving around with friends. He pretty, pretty much skated for transportation mainly. Okay. And us were more playing around with it for fun. Right. So as soon as he was driving and getting rides with friends, he stopped skating as much, you know, whereas me and Jonas had those extra years where we're not driving for another, you know, probably 10 years or whatever it is. So we were still... um just skating everywhere so okay. you, just end up, you know getting control and um figuring out how that board works and just having fun learning tricks sure and just keep going from there and like yeah just the feeling of learning something new leads you to your next trick and sometimes you know you're learning a few new tricks in one day just because you get sparked up on something and try some different variations of it uh-huh. and you just going from there yeah 
Okay. Was your first sponsor Blockhead or it was something before that? Uh, my first sponsor, real sponsor, was a Thunder and Spitfire. And oh, that okay. came from Skate Camp in Visalia Skate Camp. Oh, sick. And um, the way it went down, we were in the street contest, me and Jonas together. And uh, I bailed one trick over one of the big hips. I think I missed some kind of, I don't know, maybe even a, just a regular kickflip like over the hip. Uh-huh. I missed one thing. And then um, Jonas's run was flawless. So he got first and I got second. And um, Shrugi was there and he was uh, the team manager for Thunder and Spitfire at the time. Yeah. So Shrugi hooked Jonas up right off the bat. And then I ended up talking with him and he's like, well, um, just send me a video. So I had to send him a sponsor me video to see if I could get, you know, get on the team, see if I had what it takes. So I got home from skate camp, made my video and I gave it to him. And then uh, both me and Jonas were on flow for Thunder and Spitfire and then um, got on the team shortly after that. So I think we were getting flow for a little bit and started getting photos and things. Yeah. Asked him one day, like, how do we actually get on the real team? You know, like, you know, flow is great. We like getting free stuff, but how about, you know, officially being on? He's like, no, you guys are on. You're good. So, okay. We're officially on. Sick. But then I used that same sponsor me tape and I gave it to someone. I gave it to Kevin Bergthold, which is uh, Dave Bergthold's brother. Yeah. Cause he was at skate camp while we were there too. So somehow through one of the counselors, I was able to get the tape to Kevin Bergthold who gave it to Dave and um, Dave and Laban watched it. And I guess, uh, Laban was the one that gave me the, the seal of approval. You know, he looked at it like, all right, let's, let's see if we can do something with this kid. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, he kind of let me get my foot in the door and then we just ended up linking up and skating and filming. They were in the middle of filming for, um, the video recycled rubbish at the time. So, um, that was my first video part was in that. And we just, I think I had two weeks to film and we just filmed pretty much every day of those two weeks and just linked up with everybody, skated with the team and, brought them to some of our spots up here and right yeah filmed it all what was that like filming back then for a video part was it would you say that like in your mind you had the mentality that you had to get good shit or was it more like we're just going to go out and have fun and document our days well we had been filming with friends for a while just making these little sponsor tapes and um we had been watching skate videos of course so you see what other people are doing so you're trying to play catch up because those videos would come out like you know maybe one every year or so mm. so every video would come out there'd be like you know 15 new things that you've never seen before so you got to try to figure out how that works and you get sparked up to learn new things mm. and um yeah in our own videos we were trying to at least match that if we could okay. and if there's anything you find that was a little bigger we would try it and uh see if we could push it but eventually we ended up catching up um sometime after those early h street videos and um, yeah, after I remember the questionable video hit and everyone had to start all over again because questionable <laughs> was full of things that you didn't even think were possible on a skateboard. Uh-huh. And I remember a lot of our friends looked at it and just went, well, I'll never be that good. And they just decided, I guess I'll just move on to other things. And the rest of us were like, no, that's that's what's up. We're going to figure it out and uh, push ourselves a little harder. Like now you have goals, you know, uh-huh. So we went after it twice as hard to catch up because they were so far ahead of everyone. Right. Was that one of the videos you had in rotation probably most in those growing years was uh, questionable? Well, a lot of the blind video too, of course, because when that one came out, that was like one of the best videos at the time, just even for 
the way it was made, the way the parts were done, the matching of the music to the skating mm -hmm. and just like the, the variety of styles and everything like that video really had it all. So, you know, watching that would kind of shape your head around what you want to see of yourself on a skateboard too. If you could emulate somebody, you know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, just take some clues from that and make it your own. Who was your dude? Like, did who were you like looking through the mag to find to put up on your wall or just getting hyped every time you saw a photo or that person in video and stuff? Yeah, if I think back to my own wall in my bedroom, I had photos like a lot of Sturt photos, you know. So it'd be like a lot of stuff of Hensley and Markovich. Even Jason Carney had a couple of things that uh, Sturt shot were super rad. Those made it to the wall. And then, um, Lots of New Deal guys around that time. So I had Ed, Ed Templeton on the wall doing big old one foots and his impossible tail grabs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just all the stuff that was happening around that era, that um, early 90s era. Were you aware of Sturt? Like, were you aware of the photographer or was it just a name? No, yeah, I didn't even, uh, I didn't know who was shooting the photos. I just really liked the photos, oh, you know, okay. standout photos. And those were the ones that ended up on my wall. And it wasn't until later when I met him I started piecing it all together of who he was and how influential he was with like the, even the filming of the eight street videos, mm. like, and just the way he used his camera, the black and white and even making his own prints and just doing all the dodging and burning and getting those things just right to get the contrast to pop out and just like the detail and the level of work that went into his photos to make them what they, what they ended up being. So all that stuff started making sense later. Mm -hmm. um, all the way back to the swing flip that he did for uh transworld and the, the trick tips. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember putting that on the wall just being like, wow, like how in the world, you know? <laughs> so that was one of the early ones. And yeah, I didn't know that that was the same person who was shooting the photos, you know, all of that started linking in later when I started getting to know who was who. Right. So, okay. Yeah, but he had influence on me even years before we worked together. Uh huh. And when I met him, I didn't know that he was the same dude that shot all that stuff. I, I met him when we were shooting a, my first Airwalk ad for Airwalk Shoes. And uh, they just said, yeah, this photographer is going to be coming up. His name's Dan Sturt, and uh, he'll meet you at your house. So I met him that way in La Habra. He came by and picked you up. He came by and just met up. And um, yeah, I got introduced to him. And then we went down to uh, La Habra High School and shot a photo Ollie in the roof gap there. And uh, yeah, his timing on the photo is pretty incredible. He's got me like, just doing a regular ollie, but it's boned out really far, like almost laid out like you're doing a backside grab. Uh-huh. Like it would be like on a on a fully tweaked melon yeah. without the where the Ollie's at. And it's all silhouetted in the sky. So it ended up being a really cool looking ad. Fuck it. And he's he shot your thrasher cover, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all those later. Yep. Fuck. Yeah, he's kind of one of the most epic i mean the story um that i always gravitate to is the one where he snuck in and sniped danny way's photo like it's like yeah that's the kind of duty is like it's pretty sick. yeah helicopter drop because that yeah. was all exclusive for Transworld, and i <laughs> for some reason he had some beef going on with the guys at Transworld. wasn't getting along for some reason uh -huh. they banned from the from the Transworld offices i have no idea why like i don't remember what the whole story was yeah but they specifically like excluded him from that shoot. And uh, he, of course, hears about it anyway. I mean, he's lifelong friends with Danny Way. So, yeah, uh, they go way back. So he was pretty just off put by them excluding him purposely. So he just worked his way over to the shoot, shot it super long lens, sniped it all. And um, 
went home, developed them the same day, put them in an envelope. And my uh, water tower, Ollie, was in that same envelope that went up to Thrasher. Huh. And uh, yeah, the Danny Way stuff ended up inside and the uh, water tower, Ollie, got the cover. No way. So, yeah, but it was definitely, it was around that same exact time when he was doing helicopter drops. I was Ollie in the water towers. Dude. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember that Jake would tell me the story all the time about he he called up and he threw like some number out or something like you're paying me this much. It's coming out before, you know, it was just like, ah, like back in those days, those are just like kind of epic shit. The NorCal SoCal, the Thrasher Trans World, just all that shit. And it was like, Danny Way is our guy. No, he's our guy. Like, it's just like so fucking cool got in the middle because he lived down in san diego right near trans world but he was in heavily with um foster and uh, everything that was going up with thrasher you know being an early skater of the year even i think he got it twice back to back he was two years he not back to back he got he tony hawk was first and then danny was second 92 and then and then danny got it again when that dc video came out where he had the mega part or whatever a few years later twice which is rad dude yeah yeah insane so um you've probably told the story a million times but can we talk about the thrasher cover i really want to hear how that all unfolds was it something that sturt was like i got this spot or like did you guys see it together how did it all happen well i had been um just looking at the spot for years because every time we drive that direction because in la habra there's you're not really near any freeways so if you want to get to the 60 freeway, you have to go over this certain road and it's off that road. And every time you drive by it, it's on your left. And then when you're coming home, it's on your right. So you see it twice every time you go that way. And um, you just look at it. And it was after we were already doing the, the roof gap at La Habra High. It's about the same um, distance, but the La Habra has a drop, you know, so you get the high to low. So, you know, it makes it more like, you know, like a 10 or 11 stair on the roof cap, but then for the, the water tower is flat. So you're going like, you know, a 16 foot flat gap. So that's like longer than a regular street gap curb to curb. So you have to go really fast. So just from the street, you can't tell how far it is, but it looks more possible. So one of the days we just were driving by, I had extra time and I decided to go climb in and check it out. So I was able to figure out my way up the fire escape ladder and, uh, got on top got to the edge and looked at it and it it looks insanely far and when you're at the edge and you can see the whole drop it's like just mentally tough to stand on the edge but if you focus just on the other edge and look at it i could figure out that i could physically make it that far if i could if i could go fast enough so i've I've ran and jumped a 15 foot roof gap that was at this other school but the run-up wasn't long enough to to get the ollie and uh, the takeoff was kind of like a weird one, too. And it's a softer roof. So everything about that one, even though the gap was about right, and it's a little bit shorter than that one, the, the setup just wasn't right to ever get that one done. But I did get a run and jumping photo over it just for fun. Uh-huh. So I knew I could run and jump that far. But uh, I had to push it you know, one foot further to get the water tower. So, yeah, as far as... Did you actually measure it? Yeah, we. I tried to walk it off from the bottom. Um, uh-huh. I, so it turns out my shoes, when I was riding the Duke shoes, they were exactly a foot long. 
12 inches long. So I could walk a gap off and find out exactly how long it was. Okay. Heel. I put my heel right on the wall and just put toe in front of heel all the way. And then I'd figure out how far it was. So yeah, that one, it was right at the edge of being not possible, but if you went fast enough, you can make it. So yeah, you just had to go fast enough. Pretty much just go as fast as humanly possible and Ollie as good as you can, and you'll barely make it, you know? And and the run-up was like smooth up there and everything, or did you have to do some preparation? Did you have to change anything from what it was? No, I I really never liked changing anything. I wouldn't bondo cracks or like cut kinks or anything. I would like to skate it as natural as possible. Hmm. And I would like to add wax or anything, like just skate it as it is, as much as possible. Sure. And uh, it was the same, like, the only thing is the landing had some like cement patches on it that were a little too rough to ride on to take off from that side. So that's why I had to run and jump to the other side and check that side out. That side was smoother, but it's still rough. It's like a kind of just like a really rough sidewalk. Like um, it's got that just rough cement texture to it, but mm. it's it's skatable. So and the other side was definitely smoother for the takeoff. So I was able to take off from there. If there had been cement patches on that side or anything else that was in the way, then it probably wouldn't have been possible. Mm. But going that direction, it made it made it seem like I could do it. So did you go up on both towers and inspect them beforehand? Well, I couldn't get to the other tower because there was only a fire escape ladder on the landing tower. So there was nothing to get you on the other. one. It was just isolated and there was no fire escape or no any way to climb up it. So I kind of just had to look from the landing. And I hadn't gone to the other side until the day that we decided to do it. I had to run and jump over and check it out. So, yeah, but when I ran and jumped over and checked it out, saw that it was doable from that side, then um, just got myself mentally ready and decided to give it a shot. And, um, yeah, I just know pushing. I tried to – you can't push too close to the edge because you need to get your feet set to ollie. And you're going so fast that if you don't do that right – I've seen other people mess up too close to the edge and don't get their foot on right and then you're going over the edge well that's right. not here because you're you might die if you fall off this one so you had to make sure you were set so i had to get all my speed a little earlier take that one last big push and then get my feet set because it's you're going no matter what so once you're going that fast there's no stopping the momentum you know it's not like if i decided not to and i could just try to run off there's right. nowhere to so you have to commit from that last push on and that's it so there's no option of just like jumping off your board and clearing the distance or anything. I don't think so. I no. really don't. Yeah. Cause so you would it's have just to, one and done. You just got to like make it. Yeah. You have to go fast enough and you have to hit your tail hard enough, ollie high enough just to clear it. And um, just to make it to the other side safely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do anything less than that. You will come up short and like even clip your shins or something, but if you're going fast enough, your body should make it onto the other side. You'd have to come up really short to bounce off and end up in the hole, you know? So. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and when you land, are you going, are you going so fast that you're worried? Like, do you have to power slide to make sure you don't go off the other end or do you run it out or what do you do? It was, it was big enough to just ride and turn in a big circle. You know, oh. I was able to land and just keep the momentum and turn in a circle. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, when we were done, I just had to climb back down the fire escape ladder because that's the only way down. And it's sketchy going up that ladder because uh, they had it gated off at the bottom. You know, those fire escape ladders have like a round cage around them. Mm-hmm. Bottom, they have like a 
a metal grate that's locked. So you can't go up the hole, but I was skinny enough to fit around the backside of the, the fire escape ladder between the ladder and the, the cement wall. So you have to be just skinny enough to fit there. And right. it was just room to like climb up. And then once you get high enough, you can work your way around the cage and um, go up the rest of the way. Was it just you and Sturt or was other people there? It was uh, me and Sturt and our buddy Andy and then um, Ty Evans. And Ty Evans was filming it from the hill. So he was like higher up on the property and on a hill just so you could see the actual takeoff and landing. Uh-huh. And Sturt down below getting the shot from underneath. And our buddy Andy just happened to be there. He wanted to go skate that day. He lived in my apartment complex and he was like, you know, he wanted to go skate that day. So he came with us. And, and uh, the only reason I had Ty with me, because we were filming for the starting point video for Transworld, we were doing like a how-to video and just doing the basics of skateboarding, like doing, you know, pop shove and kick flips and heel flips and all the, the basics. So we were going out to film that day, just some flat ground out in LA. So when um, Sturt hit me up randomly that morning and saying, he asked me if I wanted to do that thing today. I was like, all right. I knew exactly what he was talking about. So um, I had to hit up Ty like, Hey, you mind if we take a detour today, we're going to go do this thing with Sturt and then we can go do the starting point stuff. He's like, yeah, no problem. So he had no idea what he was getting into for that one. Just kind of surprised him with it, but it all worked out because there was no one else who could have filmed it better than that. Like yeah. he, he nailed it with the filming on that from the top angle mm-hmm. Sturt kept it with the photo from the bottom. And I liked the time of day Sturt chose was to get that shadow on the, the landing wall too. Mm-hmm. So that really stretched out silhouette shadow was perfect because I had brought him there to check it out another day, probably, you know, months earlier. And he just kind of took a look at it, tried to eyeball the lighting and wrap his head around how he wanted to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And he randomly hit me up the day that he was ready to do it. So, and luckily I was ready to go too. Okay. What's it like shooting photos with him? Is it a little extra nerve wracking knowing that he's there? Like Jeff Rowley's always talked about like getting canisters thrown at him and telling him like just kind of hectic shit. Like he's like, this is no fuck around. You're making this or whatever. No, for me, like Sturt and I were actually good friends, you know, Uh from the day we were, we were good together. And he was like, you know, I'm sure you've heard some crazy stories about me and whatever, whatever. I'm like, no, I don't know anything about (laughs) you're starting from a clean slate. Okay. Um, Yeah. He thought his reputation like preceded him on that one. And I was like, no, I honestly had no idea. And that's when I started figuring out what was what. Okay. I've been hanging out with Sloshbach because we were filming with Sloshbach a lot. He mm-hmm. would have Sturt stories because I guess him and Sturt used to skate together and hang out together back in the days. So he would tell me how much of a wild man Sturt was. Right. But uh, yeah, I had, I had no idea. So I found all that out after. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And what's it like when the cover comes out? Is it a surprise? Did you know it was coming? Like, how did, how did you see it for the first time? I guess that one was a surprise. Yeah, I don't I don't think I had known about it. I think it just showed up. Like I'm you had probably, a subscription or like you were in 7-Eleven and you saw it in the newsstand or? No, I probably had a subscription at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it showed up. But I'm sure someone else got it before me and um, brought it over. And then I got mine in the mail because maybe they sent out their subscriptions alphabetically. With my last name being a W, I always get mine last. Okay. A week before me. So I don't know if that's how it works, but I know mine always came pretty late. Had you had the cover of any magazine yet? Yeah, I'd had the cover of uh, Transworld a few times before the Thrasher one came out. Oh, and 
I was supposed to get the cover of Thrasher a lot of years before that, back in like 93, maybe even. Um, I had a backside on 80 that I shot with uh, Chris Ortiz, mm-hmm. uh, a double set in Wilshire, like in LA on Wilshire. It was like a, a five flat seven double set. And I had a backside on 80 on that. And he actually told me that it was going to get used for a cover. But then um, that whole thing with, with color skateboards went down. I ended up riding for color skateboards, which was uh, partly owned by Rich Metaver who was owner of Union Wheels. And I guess they had beef with the people from Spitfire Wheels and all the NorCal. So oh. enough beef there that uh, Thrasher just decided to ban everyone that rode for color skateboards from their magazine. That oh. was their to retaliate. So I don't know what the original beef was. Um, it might have been even a, some kind of wheel wars. Because I, I know um, Oblo was doing race wheels at the time too. Mm-hmm. So who was running that thing? There was some kind of just split over wheels and riders and owners and whatever. It had nothing to do with with us riders, right. but uh, yeah, it we got caught in the in the crossfire of that one. So that that cover got pulled, and that, that photo actually never ran. But I saw the slide at the huh. Thrasher offices when um when Ortiz showed it to me. So I remember I was riding a a Henry Sanchez O Henry board in the photo. So it was Sick. like this bright yellow with the chocolate and the red um, just made a rad looking photo, but yeah, it was interesting back then. I know there was a lot of shit going on. People trying to steal wheel uh, formulas, people trying to steal yep. riders or just whatever right. it may be. But uh, so was that your first kind of like you had to call or how'd you do it to, to leave blockhead? Yeah. Um, that came from Markovich just called me up out of the blue saying they were going to start this company called color and that it was him and Oblo doing it. And, um, Kyle Yanagamoto, I think was already with them mm. and maybe we at that point, we knew in and, um, they were looking to add a few more people and they had me in mind. So, um, yeah, at the time things were going good at blockhead. We liked it over there. Like we would hang out. We were a good solid team. Like, uh, we'd skate together every weekend. We'd take the Amtrak down to Dave's house and um, get picked up at the station down there and just hang out for the weekend and go mm-hmm. back up to school the next the next Monday. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, just skating and filming together all the time. So I didn't want to leave that situation. But um, the opportunity to ride for color with Markovich seemed like one of those things just, yeah, I mean, it's it's meant to be. I'm supposed to do this. So I kind of just had to follow my gut on that one and, and do it. Were you like kind of like was it super scary and nervous for you to have to like your first sponsor you kind of feel like oh these guys gave you your shot and now you have to tell them you're leaving is that a real tough thing for you or how did it go yeah i mean i had to call him and tell him what was going on that i think i'm gonna do this and he was just telling me no you can't leave you know well i kind of kind of have to i have to do this i have to find out what's next you know i have Mm -hmm. to follow follow my path you know Mm-hmm. He understood and um we we were all good even from that day i mean i never had any bad blood with with dave and um we've done stuff together even recently and um every time we saw him it was it was always all good okay cool but, yeah i definitely regretted having to do it right then because it seems like we were building something over there that was going to be good again like right it's like a good momentum but one of those things i guess 
you can't really control the timing of all these things, you know, some things right. just happen. You gotta do what you gotta do. Was one of your first trips with Blockhead then? Did you guys go on any trips? We would trip back up to like Visalia Skate Camp. Uh, okay. We, you know, we went back up there because we had been up there as campers and then going back with Blockhead the following year as a rider was pretty cool. And just getting to skate with all the little kids again and like, I don't know, inspire them. Like I got inspired by the riders that would come through. Totally. That was always fun. But yeah, we do um, little filming trips. Nothing too extensive from what I remember, though. Was Did you yeah, we go were, on a bigger trip with Color? Did you guys like, did, were you flying anywhere or anything? Yeah, with Color, we went to Europe for the first time. Like, ah. we do all those Europe contests, like the... Um, Take the, the train. Those Titus or Titus ones out there in Germany. Yeah. yeah. It was like a big three contest that were going out. So we were, yeah, we'd fly out, take the train everywhere. And I remember on... Um, one of them, Oblo, it was just me, Oblo, Markovich, and um, and Mike Santa Rosa. So we all flew out there together. And um, I think Chris and Mike were a little bit older. So they were like maybe a year or two older than me. So they were already hanging out together, going out to bars and doing their thing. And me and Oblo kind of got stuck together because he had to pretty much look out for me. Mm -hmm. And then, um, unfortunately, Oblo got hurt. At the first contest, he was out there skating on the course and like broke his ankle. He broke like a bone in his foot or something. Uh -huh. He had to fly home to get it fixed up. So he gave us whatever per diem we had for the trip. And um, Markovich just handed me mine and him and um, Santa Rosa went off and did their own thing. So I was basically alone in Europe for the rest of that trip. So I just... Um, gravitated towards uh the toy machine crew because ed ed templeton was out there with all his guys uh -huh. like ethan Fowler and whoever else was riding for him at the time and they were going to like uh, art museums while they're out there and stuff like that so i got to piggyback on on their tour and just um yeah just make it through with them so and i was into all the art museums i'd been to all the ones in la so it was cool to get to see all the crazy art they had on the walls in these european museums you know like real van goghs and picassos and yeah. stuff. it was right there in front of you so it was it was pretty influential early on just seeing all the artwork too oh, this is, and that's oh. your first trip to europe period not just as on a skate trip just ever right yeah yeah we got to experience all that stuff through skateboarding for sure that rules yeah it was wild just being you know i think i was 18 at the time just traveling through europe with no cell phone no way to get a hold of anybody no connections just winging it and just following the, the crew, you know, we always mm -hmm. got to where we needed to be, but yeah, it was uh -huh. pretty fun. I remember even skating with my uh, passport in my pocket, even for the contest runs. Cause I knew if I lost it, there's no other way to get out. So I had to keep it with me. So that's that, like that your most, that's your prized possession right there. You cannot yeah, lose your passport back with all your stuff. Like even underneath a ramp at the contest course, kids were just yanking those things left and right. You know, mm -hmm. they, they would just go missing. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta skate with my passport in my pocket at all times. Mm -hmm. Fast forward in a little bit, plan B days. Yeah. The video part I want to get to in a minute, because that line where you open it up and, and skating to cream is white room, right? Yeah. Like that I think is forever. Like even right now, if you watch that part, it's just like really sick. Um, plan B was established already. That was probably the fourth, video or, or third, yeah. third video okay yeah, they had full and virtual reality and by the time virtual reality came around um 
we were in the mix enough to where we ended up at the uh, the premiere for that one. So we got to see that in the movie theater down there in San Diego. Uh-huh. I think that might have been at Spreckles. I'm not sure. Okay. But I remember going to the, the theater on that one, which is pretty awesome to see that stuff on the big screen with everyone when they're seeing it for the first time. Yeah. You know, when the when the split screen starts happening and there's three different videos going on all at the same time in the intro, it was like, oh, yeah. And, or wow yes so sick like i i had a friend that made one of the uh the squares and it was just like ah nice it was insane it paul's on it i don't know if you know who he was yeah yeah, he he grew up with jake rosenberg so like they would go out filming i think he was on planet earth maybe at the time or something and he i think he has a nose shove it of a hideout or something Nice and, and uh, yeah, it's in there. It was just like, fuck, so sick to make that intro. But yeah. so, how does it feel like already Plan B? Like, like you said, for that time, they were like the next step after H Street. It was just like right. these dudes are. Every video that comes out is like sickest music and shit you didn't think was possible on a skateboard. And then That's- like Mike Carroll style and just like everything like EMB. This is their spot. Like it was really legendary. Pat Duffy out of nowhere. No one's even heard of him. And then he's like the gnarliest dude ever. It's yeah. just like, what the fuck? So I, I'm just wondering, like, what what is was it a phone call? Was it something that built up? Like, how do you eventually like get on to plan B? Well, when color split up, um, I guess there were just issues between Oblo and um Metaver about the quality of the product. It seemed like they were trying to cut too many corners and just cheapen up the product everywhere they could. And mm. Oblo up to be the best. And um, he just couldn't keep going like that and fighting that fight because it just, every time they had a chance, they were cutting corners, making our stuff worse than it could be. So um, he just got tired of that and wanted to do something else. And it, I think he started talking to the guys at, um, at World about doing a company over there and uh, was able to just follow that um level of, of products that's uh my daughter jaden oh there she goes hi hi yeah that's my daughter jaden she's homeschooling because she wasn't feeling too good at the end of the last week and then um i guess if you have a runny nose and a fever that's two symptoms too many <laughs> and they send you home so she's gonna be home with us for the next 10 days they said how many Unless kids are go gonna just pull that yeah. i gotta i gotta go home <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we got our son Jackson in school right now and she's at home. So oh, wow. we'll work during, during all this stuff, but back to the plan B stuff um, and how color was going and all that. So right. when Oblo decided that he was going to move on from color, it kind of just all split all at once. Like it was kind of like a band breaking up. I've said, just, we got a call that that color just wasn't happening anymore. Mm. And we all kind of had to just scramble and do what we could. And then Oblo ended up talking to the guys at World, putting his foot in the door, and they said they would um, be able to do a brand over there. And um, they ended up naming it Prime. And I was still somewhat in the mix when they were trying to figure that all out. And then um, I got hit up by Real to ride for them at that time. Oh. He still rode for um, Thunder and Spitfire. Yeah. I almost lost Spitfire when I rode for Color because Color was run by Union. And they wanted all the color riders to ride for Union Wheels too, as part of the deal. Yeah. And I my guns and said no. That I wanted to stick with Spitfire. I had no reason to leave them. 
especially not for, you know, a brand new board brand, like I'll ride for color, but I I'm staying with thunder and spitfire. Yep. And at first they said no. And I just stuck to my guns and I was, I was able to stay and make it through that battle. And I stayed on spitfire for another few years. But, um, yeah, in the end, um, me and Jonas both got kicked off thunder and spitfire in the end, like, oh. cause years down the line when, um, I'd ridden for thunder for eight years without ever having an ad or anything. And, um, destructo was getting started and they wanted help with their, with their truck design. So I was somehow in the mix, maybe because of element and destructo was in that house. So I was helping them get the destructos to look better, but the geometry was all off. Mm. So I wasn't able to fix the geometry for them and they just didn't turn good, but I was able to help them make them look good. And then from there, they said um, that later on down the, lo- the road, I'd be able to design a truck. So I'm mm. like, all right. And they were going to take care of me until then. And they said, just deal with these trucks until we can get you the one that you want. So I kept calling Thunder to let them know what was going on and see if there were any options to do anything more with Thunder, you know, even mm-hmm. like have a, a model or something to make it worthwhile to stay. And they just never returned the call. Like, I mean, we were going on, like, I think at least a month of trying to call them and just nothing came through. And it wasn't until um, the stuff started going through with Destructo that I got a call saying that I had no longer rode for Thunder and Spitfire and tell Jonas he's off Thunder and Spitfire too. It was like, oh. and I was trying to reach out and do it all right. And they just weren't getting back to me, you know? Huh. In the end, that ended up not being very cool all the way around. But um, yeah, we got Jonas linked back up with Venture so he could have trucks that he liked. And then uh, I tried to make it work with um, with Destructo, and I ended up designing that truck that I that I had envisioned, and um, it took a while to get it done. And then when that thing was done, they um, went and formed a new brand with it called Destroyer, and used the truck that I designed. Didn't have me on the team, and uh, put out ads and did the whole thing just without me. I was like, okay. You better leave this shit in here. Don't be telling this is negative or not. This is life. So <laughs> I guess that's not happening either. So I ended up just bouncing from all of that mess and just um, talked to Joey Touche mm. about uh, writing for Indy. And uh, he made it work with Indy. Because at, at the end of it all, I tried all these different trucks just to see what worked best for me. Uh-huh. And after, while we were designing the Destructos and I was trying like Thunders, Ventures, Indies, Crux. Yeah. And uh, all the way down the line just to see what I liked and to see what worked. And in the end, Indies were just the best anyway. Mm-hmm. So after all that mess was done, I was like, I just want to ride what works. So I ended up linking up with Indy and making that happen. Yeah. I've pretty much rode Indy almost, I think my entire, I think I tried ventures for a little bit. I've tried yeah. thunder for a hot second, but right. I've had so many Indies, but do you like the new Indies or do you try to get older ones? Um, I pretty much just get the 139s, the regular ones. They haven't really sent me too much of the funky stuff. Like uh, things are completely different. And I've just right. like gone with it. Every time they make a new, you know, stage of the truck, I just yeah. adapt. And, yeah, um, no, no real issues other than, you know, when they'd have a bad batch that was crooked or like the uh-huh. axle ending, the, they got a bad batch of axles one year. And like every time I'd land too hard, the, the wheel would just bend, the axle would bend. Yeah. But, it through all that stuff and i made it through with them you know some people are so in tune with the stages like i can only ride stage nine i'm like right 
my thing is the trucks just need to be able to go straight. If I set up my board and it's making a hard right turn and I'm yeah. having to back it every time yeah. to go straight, that shouldn't be an issue. So I just try to get a set that's straight and I'll ride them until they're done. Like I'll ride the same trucks for a year if I have to, mm-hmm. if they're good, they ride straight. You know, you, do you use different bushings? I throw in the bones bushings now. Those are my I, favorite. I standard indie ones and they were fine, but I think over the years they just got softer. They yeah. seemed like no matter what, they would just feel really loose. And eventually they'd break in and stiffen up. But um, someone had told me about the bones ones just that I should try them. And they were the dual durometer ones that have like a harder top and bottom. Yep. I tried those out. And um, with those, you can even take off that bottom washer that's really big. Yeah. That hangs up stuff, so I can go without that. Yeah. And uh, it's I just a more those. controlled turn. Yeah. In the end, I like it. So yeah. they, they're great. I got the yellow ones. And I think those are the medium. There's soft, right. medium, and hard. And right. just... I got the yellow ones too. White and yellow. Yeah. Yellow top. It's perfect. And they eventually break in on, on really hot days or if it's been hot for a long time, they uh-huh. end up getting really loose too, uh-huh. but it's that I can't handle. So they, they've been about perfect. That's a perfect match though. The yellows with Indies. Yeah. Mm. So did getting kicked off Thunder and Spitfire somehow spark a direction? How did the plan B come into it all? The plan B um, was when color was breaking up and Ablo was starting prime. And Real hit me up about writing for them. And at the same time I was talking with Real about writing for them, someone had gotten word to Mike Ternaski that I, that I was looking for a board sponsor. And there was just potential to at least have a conversation with him. So I had set it up for even like a couple weeks down the road when he had time. We were going to meet up in San Diego just to have lunch and, and talk about Plan B and possibly writing for him. And before that meeting came down, um, Jeff Clint, flew down to my house in La Habra and um, offered me the, the position to ride for real. And I loved real skateboards. I still do like real is one of the most legit skate companies out there. You know, they're real skateboarders doing it for the right reasons, helping as many people as they can. Mm-hmm. And like, just they they're doing it right. You know, they make solid videos, they make solid product. They take care of their people as best they can. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if you're hardworking and you're loyal, you'll be there. And, um, all of that seemed appealing to me, but, um, in the end, just looking at plan B and the, the videos that I was already, I was filming for video parts, trying to make something that would stand the test of time. And if I had an opportunity to be in that next plan B video and just film something that might affect others, the way I was affected by their video parts, I was like, I wanted to just put out my best video part I could, I could put together. And, Mm -hmm. uh, if the way they film and the way they edit it and the way we put it together. I, I thought that that would be it. And um, if I had a chance to do it, I was going to hop in. So ended up having just to put real on holds until I talked to plan B. And um, in the end, I got a call from Jim and Tommy saying that um, they were pulling their offer right. Like two days before I was going to talk to Mike at plan B. So then it was like, it's going to be plan B or nothing now. And it ended up working out perfectly with plan B. Like me and Mike hit it off right off the bat. We're just, you know, kind of had the same vision. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I was in on the program he was trying to create. And that's exactly what I was looking to do. So we uh, got straight to work on working on uh, the secondhand smoke video. And um, it wasn't too long after we made all the decisions and plans and got going on it. And um, he even wanted to 
have me involved. He was going to start a shoe brand for plan B and he wanted me to be involved in designing the shoe and creating the, the brand for him. And, um, that ended up turning into Duke shoes, which was a plan B shoe brand. Ah. He had already seen what was happening with like cab and vans and Nottis and Etnies and just people were going to have pro shoe models in the future and that the shoe sponsor was going to become more important than their board sponsor. Now at the time that was a revolutionary idea and no one would have believed it. It was way ahead of its time when he was calling it out, mm-hmm. but he, he the future. So he wanted to have something that they could, you know, get their foot in the shoe market and, um, you know, get it started early on. So mm. that's where it came about. And right when we were in the middle of, of putting all those plans together, that's when Mike Ternaski, um got in a car accident on his way to work. Um, I was there that day at his house. We had just come back from the Vancouver contest. Oh. And um, I had gone back with him to his house and I was going to drive home that next day. And um, yeah, I think I'd, I had gone down to his house and flown up there with him for that slam city jam up in Vancouver. Yeah. Came home, stayed with him that night. We had a good talk. Um, he was even talking about having my brother Jonas ride for plan B with me. Oh. So we did stuff together mm-hmm. and, uh, that I would have Jonas basically under my wing and make sure that he's working hard at filming for video parts and that he would um, stay focused, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Mike was down for the idea of bringing him in and we're just going to work with him and kind of, bring him up with us and uh yeah he died that next that next morning on his way to work so all of that stuff kind of just stopped and um i was able to keep pushing forward with the plan to get dukes going and uh had to team up with the people at duff's to get the shoe started Mm -hmm. and then rocco stepped in to um basically fund the whole thing he ended up being like part owner and funding funding the brand and making it like actually real, not just ideas on paper, you know, but, uh, I saw that thing start to finish and, um, even created the name for the brand, created the logo, created the first design, did the box design, designed the hang tag, like everything that Dukes was like, was just me getting ideas down in a, in a sketch pad until we got it made. So that was like your first experience with kind of like, Right. Being more than a, a skate, a rider, you were actually making some and seeing how the business runs and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'd like to say, I pretty much learned it the hard way, you know, just being a kid trying to do all that, presenting them everything. And like, they weren't giving much back in return for all the work I was putting in. And I knew mm. it at the time I was trying to fight for what I thought I deserved, but it just wasn't going to happen. This is not the way they did business back then. Right. So and I probably would have been better just riding for like S or Etnies. And um, just having a shoe on their brand, it would have reached more people. And I would have had a really like well-designed shoe because I would have taken my time with it. Yeah. But I did get to learn how to make a brand from scratch. So it was important lessons on just how this stuff is done, you know, mm-hmm. and also how I do it on the, the contract and business side of it. And just, you know, how the whole program works. But it was a very good learning experience and I'm glad I did it. And what we created was pretty special. Yeah. And I even was able to hire Sturt on to do the, um, the ad direction and all the photography for it. So he even did the product shots and the, all the skate shots. And it was me and uh, Sturt and JT over there at world putting the ads together. Um, Cause neither me or Sturt had any um, computer 
knowledge. Like we couldn't put the ads together without JT's help. So mm. yeah, he was the one putting all the ads together for most of the brands over there. So we'd just schedule our time with him during the day. We'd meet up at world and just the three of us would be in the room. He'd be working the computer and we just tell him what we wanted and he'd make it happen. Damn. So, How far yeah. along were you guys with secondhand smoke when Terneski passed? Um, we weren't even halfway into like filming for the video. I mean, Danny had gotten hurt at that time too. Like mm -hmm. Danny had uh, gotten hurt surfing where he broke his neck. Oh yeah. He like bailed out on a shallow wave or something, ended up breaking his neck on it just being, you know, too shallow for guys. Yeah. And that took him out for almost a year. And, um, you know, of course the doctors are telling him that there's no coming back from that. He won't be able to do this, won't be able to do that, mm. but they don't know Danny, you know, yeah. Danny, whatever he wanted, you know, and he came back 100% and then some like mm -hmm. he still had a lot to prove. So yeah. but that's why he didn't have a full part in that video. Cause he got hurt right around that time. Right. So that more pressure on me to like, try to make this video work and make it as good as possible. So then I ended up getting the last part in that video, which of course would have gone to Danny if he was healthy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just a, I don't know, a, a super big honor to get the last part in a plan B video, you know, especially coming on as the new kid and, and the uh, one dedicated to Mike. Right. So wow. I just, I put my whole heart and soul into that thing and just filmed as, as often as I could. And I had no other responsibilities. I was just at the right age with like, you know, no other real world responsibilities to get in the way of just skating and filming and shooting photos. So I just put everything into that. Who, and, came, uh, who came up with cream? The song. Um, it was on my radar already. I, I brought it in on cassette. Um, I had a few like cassette options and we were playing them in the editing room with, uh, with Jake Rosenberg. It was me and Jake and uh, my buddy, Paul Luna, all in there editing my part for Secondhand Smoke. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just listening through different tapes, I had a couple options. And the only reason why I almost didn't use that song was because uh, Richard Mulder had used the end of that song. There's like an instrumental section. Uh -huh. And he did that in a foundation video, like a couple years earlier. So it was like, that was my only reason for maybe not using that song. Okay. But in end we ended up using the song all the way up until the instrumental starts and we cut that part out uh, so the video part ends right when that part starts uh, okay footage to fill up the whole instrumental section but when we got to that part we both just kind of well all three of us kind of decided that it was good as is it was like well what about all this other footage it was like you don't need it like we have everything we need right in that one little tight section and it fit the music so well it was like no, no need to dilute it or drag it on. Right. So a lot of leftover footage, it sat for a bit, but it ended up, some of it ended up in a, in a bones video. I think years mm -hmm. later, the bones okay. class 2000, some of that ended up in there from that long ago. But, um, yeah, it was crazy. We had just extra footage. And that opening line, do you, do you have that late in the game or had you been sitting on that line for a while? Like, did you think like, like the, the, the way you guys open up the video, it's just this long yeah. line. And at the very end, the gap and then right. like, was that really thought out of, or did it just kind of fall into place once you figure out the song or like, well, the, the line came about, we had been at, um, Matt Hensley's house doing a team meeting over there. And that was after 
Mike had passed away and we were just doing our team meetings at Matt's house because it was a good central location for everyone. And it just happened to be skating distance from Carlsbad High School. Mm. So after one of the meetings, we all skated down um, there and just skated to school for a bit. And we had all of us there that day. So we were doing lines like from the set of stairs and then going making a right. There's like a, a round circle hole gap that we do flat ground tricks over. Then you go to a corner ledge and then turn the corner. And it was all just flat ground from there on out. Filming a few lines there. Danny was there and he suggested, well, what about doing a, a gap, like doing a line to the big gap? You know, what about turning left and going that way? Like, well, we can try it. And uh, just gave it a shot. And um, just tried to figure out what tricks I could do along the way. And at first I was filling it up with a lot more flat ground tricks, just a lot more tech flat ground. And uh, I'd get like, you know, six tricks into it and miss one. And it's like, well, this is going to get old real quick if I keep bailing on flat ground before I get to the gap. So I'm just going to wear myself out. Mm-hmm. So I figured I'll, I'll simplify the line to get to the gap and at least get something. And then after I get one, I can always go back and fill it up with more flat ground. So the one that I got was the first one I made. And it was probably like the fourth time I got to the big gap for the frontside flip and um, kind of just came up with the frontside flip on the spot. Like I had to do something down and I didn't want it to be an ollie or 180. I wanted it to be a flip trick. So I just went for the frontside flip and it ended up working out fine. But um, the one that I made, I ended up riding off into the grass and uh, it had rained the night before or the sprinklers had come on or something because the, the grass was all muddy. So when I walked off into the mud, I came back and my shoes were just so full of mud. And uh, Sturt didn't like the way he filmed that frontside flip on the follow along because I guess he shook the camera a lot right when I went for the frontside flip on just that one. All the other before that, he had jumped down the gap with me. And uh, I saw it recently where he actually floats down with the camera right with me as I'm going down the gap. It was a pretty rad looking shot. Oh, sick. And, yeah. I, B. I missed one or two that were right on my feet. Like I just hit my feet and I didn't get it. So on the fourth one, I stuck with it. And that's the one he didn't jump down the gap with me. And shook ah. me. he asked me to do it again. Yeah, I was my like, shoes are toast. Back. We went back and tried a few more. And, um, my board just wouldn't flip the same after uh, the mud on the feet. Like it got mud on my grip and just everything was more slick. So it just never came together again. So I gave it one more shot all the way to the gap, tried the front side flip and it just didn't come up to my feet the same. Right. And then uh, there was a kid on the spot asked me for the board. So it, I figured I wasn't going to ride it again. So I gave it to him. No. So it was a Gino Iannucci, um, Celtic graphic that I was writing. So, and he still has the board to this day. Someone from down in San Diego and they said, yep, he still got the board. So it's still intact. Sick. And then was there a premiere for the video? Yeah, they premiered second. I think, I don't know. Cause I know one of them was freckles and I don't know if that was second book or not, but yeah, they definitely did the full like movie theater premiere. Uh-huh. And, uh, it was a good one. It was that was especially just funny being in the room when that thing hit. Cause like when my part came on and the lines going, and people who know Carlsbad High, they know I made that left down the down the path. They're like, uh oh, they they know where I'm headed. If if you skated the school, you know. Yeah. And yes, 
no one really knew that I had done it. We had kept it under wraps pretty good. So by the time the premiere hit, no one knew that I had done that line. So it was pretty rad seeing people see it for the first time and just being introduced to it. Yeah, so, that was, yeah. I mean, dude, back then it seemed like so much was able to be held under wraps. Right. Like I remember the eight street videos where they were doing the no comply kickflips and you're like, how the fuck are they doing this? This is impossible. Like you would just see certain things and you're like, how did we even not get a clue to this? And like, right. So, yeah, but I, I remember when that part came out and who was, who were the guys that you would spend most of your time with in plan B? Like, would you room with somebody regularly or would it be different people, different trips or. Well, after, um, Mike had passed because I used to go down and stay with Mike a lot. But um, then I started staying with uh, Matt Hensley mostly just because oh. he had an extra spot and he was living there and in Carlsbad right near the high school. And um, yeah, he lived with his brother, Matt Hen or with his brother, Chris Hensley. Mm. So yeah, we got to know Chris pretty well. He's a cool dude too. But um, yeah, I mean, we would just go stay at his house and skate from there. That was kind of the home base. And then like Danny would roll through sometimes and um, whoever else was down to skate at the time, you know, I'd go filming with uh, Pat Chinita a lot. Oh yeah. Maybe, Pat. You know, sometimes, you know, so we'd, we'd try to go out as a crew as much as we could, but you know, a lot of the stuff, depending on who wanted to skate, what, you know, I had a hard time getting people to skate with me if I was doing the, the gaps and roof gaps and stuff like that. But mostly by the time it got to the revolution filming for that one, mm -hmm. I was, a lot of stuff just by myself mm. it just like be me a filmer and sometimes a photographer or one or the other sometimes we'd have a photographer one day get something and then i have to go back and film it for the video just because it was hard to organize everyone to be there and yeah. a lot of the stuff we were kind of just making up as we went it's not like on on thursday we're gonna go to this spot i'm gonna do this trick or anything like that we would just go out as often as we could and get stuff you know mm-hmm Oh, no real plans, but okay. yeah. Did you ever, you went to Wallenberg? Yeah, I went there um, early on. We would skate and do lines there just on the, you know, the lower two steps. But um, yeah, I was there for the first Wallenberg challenge when they had people just trying to run from the wall and, and skate it. It was, was after one of the back to the city contests. When Jesse Piaz 180'd it? Yep. And yeah. uh Drahobel was trying to do some stuff too. Like I think Drahobel borrowed someone else's board. Like he <laughs> broke his board and borrowed a kid's board that had no tail whatsoever and did it. And mine, uh, I was riding thunders at that point. And before anyone had gotten there, I had ollied the, the third level one, not mm -hmm. from the top. And from the third one, when I landed, my uh, axle got bent. My uh. front. So... And I was riding like 40 millimeter wheels at the time, maybe even 39s at that point. Uh -huh. So barely going to roll away anyway. So it landed, it stuck and just bent my axle. So when the contest started, I ran and gave it a shot anyway. And I was able to get the distance and clear it, but there was no way I was going to ride away from it just because it was my front axle that was bent and it was on the heel side. Uh -huh. So right when you land, you just get more than wheel bite. It's not going anywhere. So it just stuck and I rolled and that was it. Mm. But I, I was able to go back and ollie it years later when we were filming for the audio video. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I had a board that had a bigger nose than a tail. 
So it was great for nollie tricks, but it sucked for anything off the tail. So ollies were really just not working that great. But I was able to ollie the 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 Wallenberg four, you know, and I got Pushing. that. But I don't think the footage ever ended up in anything because it had been um, skated since then, and people had done harder stuff than just an ollie. Uh-huh. But it to be able to actually ollie it and ride away from it. And I had my sights set on a, a front three on it back then, but um, it just didn't work out. That board just wasn't the right board for that day. Okay. And just I try to get something off the tail just wasn't coming up that good. But anything switch or nollie worked great. It was just one of those ones where the board was shifted too much. Uh, had a, a dud of a tail. Front three would be so beautiful down the fucking thing. Did you kind of purposely... I'm kind of gathering this from talking to you that you're maybe not into the ramp vibe. Like you said before, you kind of want to skate things the way they are. Uh, vert ramps or something or what? No, no. Like, you know how we had the events there where they would have a uh, starting ramp. So like once they had the ramp, they had more speed and people could do, you know, a lot of tricks happened uh, after that. It was a lot different than just pushing and, and yeah. getting your own speed at it. But yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, in the, there was the one at the triple set in San Diego that you all eat and stuff. And, uh, yeah. like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Wallenberg was just, it was hard to get the speed. That was one of the things about the spot. Like, some people were carving in from the street, mm-hmm. but, but then they took that really out. Turn to get there. I don't know how anyone skated it like that because I even tried to do that S turn just to see what it felt like. And after all the turns, I had no more speed. I don't know how people were able to Yeah, turn. that's how Gons did it. Yeah. That's how Gons did it. And then yeah. that's also how, like, Tony Manfrey did a switch ollie and switch 180. He uh-huh. bombed it. I and think I even, Frank might have kick-flipped it yeah, like that. When he kick-flipped it, he did the turn, too. So I don't know how anyone maintained their speed. Because every time I would come down and I'd start that turn, uh-huh. it would either slide or you just, you know, try to weave back. And by the time I'm done, I'm not going fast enough. So... Mm. I, I could get more speed running from the brick wall. So I actually like just running and jumping and setting my board down. Mm-hmm. But, and you can get enough speed. You can get your feet set up just barely. So there was enough to do it, but it was just difficult. But I definitely preferred that to having the roll-in. Because even the roll-in, they put it like halfway up the thing. So you're rolling in and you have really no time to set up unless mm-hmm. you roll in feet set up. And uh, usually for me, when I'm skating something while I'm pushing... I'm setting up my feet. So my front foot's getting in position while I'm pushing. And then mm-hmm. it also like bent down and, you know, you can control your speed and get your feet set up just by pushing on your way. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of the control comes from for me. So like standing up and rolling in on something and just like being shot out of a cannon at the speed you need to get there. It takes all of the control out of it, like bending down enough and getting your feet set up and all the stuff that I get from when I push. Right. So for me, it's just not, those two worlds don't, don't meet, you know, I uh-huh. even, I never liked going like how the world park was. They had quarter pipes on both sides and mm-hmm. a man box in the middle <laughs> coming off a quarter pipe to doing a manual just throws your like balance off so much. And the speed mm-hmm. is not the same, but if I set my board down and hit that same manual, it was a whole different ball game for me. Mm-hmm. So I just, I like just being able to push and set up along the way. You've been around a lot of amazing people and seen a lot of awesome shit. This might be a hard question, but I always ask people, can you name something that stands out to you as one of the greatest things you've ever seen on a skateboard? Like you were there live for. Hmm. Yeah. I've been there live for a lot of stuff. So yeah, I wonder 
nothing jumps out right off the bat because it's one of those things like when people ask your favorites yeah i have that many favorites because it changes so often and it's just depending on my mood i guess you know yeah did you see danny skate the mago in the early days like when it was all evolving and stuff no i did see him skating the plan b vert ramps and uh I remember him talking about the mega ramp just as the idea of it. Uh-huh. He was telling how the physics work. Like if you had a bigger ramp, like a larger transition, you could technically go higher. So, yeah. but if it was just a half pipe shape, you wouldn't be able to start the momentum. So you need like this longer ramp to roll in on, to get the speed, to get the air that you're capable of getting off the bigger transition. Uh-huh. So he had it figured out in his head before it even existed. Yeah. And he was telling me all about it. Like, I mean, this must've been like 96 <laughs> when we're at the plan B ramp. He's telling me the idea when he, when he hurt his neck, I think that's when he was talking about all this stuff mm. and he believed 100% that it was possible, you know, whether mm-hmm. the, whether the physics worked or not in his head, it already, it already happened. It already made sense. So when uh, DC was able to step up and, and build him his idea, it was awesome to see him come through and, and make it possible, you know? Because you've been building the ramp to the specs, like it's all just in your head until you do it. And at that point, it's got to look intimidating, you know. But um, the Great Wall of China, the whole thing is just fucked. Like that little documentary that Jake made with him is like he eats shit the day before. He didn't know if they built the starting ramp good. It was right. I mean, all that shit is so hectic. I saw him. I was there when he jumped off the guitar at the Hard Rock. Remember when he was talking about the roll in and he tells the guy, I would rather clear it by 10 feet than come up two inches short. Like, yeah, yeah. it's way better to have more speed than less speed, because if you come up short at all, you're landing straight to flat. Yeah. If I clear it, at least there's that long landing ramp to land on. So that's why they even built him that little extension on top. Because right. he knew, like, he's just looking at it. He had it like that. He could eyeball it and know like that's might not be enough speed for what I need to do. So it's weird that he knows that just by looking at it, but he knew. So, and when they added the extension, there he goes backside 360, even with the rope, you know, and made it fine. So yeah. that's amazing. But yeah, you got to trust your gut on that stuff because no one else knows it better than you. You know, mm. yeah. for sure. This week on the grams, watching Sarah's bones. Cookie Head tries to jump rope, and Demarcus finds a new line at Petrero. Got a couple questions from the Instagram. Uh, do you know Judd Hertzler? Shout out. Yeah. Because he said, did you ever let Gino and Keenan and Pupeki get under your skin? He said that they gave you some shit or something and wondered if they ever bothered you. Not at all. We were close. We were tight. Okay. Yeah, I got um I got Keenan on plan B. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah. Before he got on blind, he didn't have a sponsor. Um, we knew him back from the fun days when he rode for fun with uh, Ron Allen. Mm-hmm. And we ate with uh with Huff and Keenan and Gino and Jason Dill all through those days. But um mm-hmm. yeah, we'd go up to F and skate with with Keenan and um and Huff a lot. But um when they had their place down in Huntington, we would just go down and meet up with them and try to pull them out to go skate. They were, they were pretty lazy at that point, you know? Like, we'd come down in the afternoon to go skate with them. We couldn't pull them out till like, 4 o'clock. 
and it got <laughs> five thirty. So we get like an hour and a half with them, but we were constantly getting down there and, and getting them out of the house to go skate. So uh-huh. we were always like, yeah, they never okay. bugged me at all. They, they probably vibed other people and gave them a hard time, but like we were close. Uh-huh. Yeah. We always got along. Do you still keep in contact with Dill? Um, I had lost contact with him when he moved to New York. We just didn't, I didn't have his number or any way to reach him. Oh. And then, um, we crossed paths at some contest in Costa Mesa. That was the oh. first time I'd seen him in like, you know, probably 11 years or something like that. So got to see him there, talked to him for a bit. And then, um, yeah, he off and on just wouldn't have a working cell phone or things like that. <laughs> so there was never any way to reach him. I had some random email that I would try sometimes and, you know, there was just no way to contact them. So, but we've crossed paths again a couple more times. Once at like a some art show out in LA, mm. so I saw him at the Edis event because I was next door at um the poker tournament for uh, Jerron Wilson. He was having his birthday poker tournament. Oh, sick! But uh, yeah, I got a letter from him, um, a handwritten letter that he shot a photo of, um, just saying how sorry he was to hear about you know, my brother Jonas passing recently. Right. And yeah, it was a nice letter, just, you know, signed. And it was cool to get that. So I responded to him for that. Right. That was, that was uh, April 11th, you were saying that Jonas passed. Do you want to talk a little bit about that at all? Yeah, we can. Um, What had happened, my wife and I had left town to go to Vegas for my birthday. Um, Since my birthday was going to be April 14th. It was going to land in the middle of the week, so we weren't going to be able to do much. And we had our kids and stuff. So we found a day that we were able to just head out to Vegas for one night. So me and her headed out on the 9th or the 10th, I guess on the 10th, to go out and stay the night on, you know, like a Saturday night. We had uh, her parents watch our kids and our dog. So we headed out there. And then when we came back the next day, we went and picked up our kids, came in the house and... um Jonas was there just sitting on the couch. Like, like I'd seen him thousands of times just sitting there, like relaxing, looked like he was taking a nap, you know? And then, um, I just noticed from the, the side view that I had that his coloring looked a little off in his face. Mm. So I kind of just reached out and gave him like the two finger check on the neck just to see what was going on. Like if he's sleeping, it might wake him up, but like, the coloring that I saw, I just had a, a kind of an eerie feeling. And when I touched him, he was uh, like already cold and hard. And it was like, uh-oh. And there's nothing you could do. So I, I ran over and told my wife, Carissa, that Jonas was dead. And then I called 911 immediately. And then we got the kids out of there and had them go back to La Havre to my wife's uh, parents' house. And I just stayed there with them and um, went through the 911 call. They were asking if I could uh, lay him down and do CPR and stuff like that. But just by looking at him, um, it looked like he had already been too far gone. Like just the way he was, he was already stiff. And like when I even tried to lift his legs and said, if I could lay him down and start CPR process. And uh, when I went to lift his legs, you could just tell us this is not going to happen. And I didn't want to put him through that. So I was like, no, I just had to let him know it's, it's already too far gone. Did they, they think he had like a heart attack or something? We're not sure. I mean, the wow. the autopsy didn't reveal anything. So huh. 
they sent it off to toxicology and we won't know anything for three or four months. Whoa. But, uh, you know, he was 44 years old, physically fit. We had just skated together like, you know, two days before that, probably. We uh-huh. went skating to La Puente Park together and skated at night. Yeah. Filmed clips and just had a great time. So we got our last session in. And I still have the, the footage that I filmed of him that night. And we were doing a lot of tricks back to back. Like, you know, I'd do one thing, he'd do one thing. And we'd just get each other's backs on all of it. So yeah. we had a really good last session. And it's funny because I, I normally don't skate at night. I probably hadn't skated in night, at night in like 10 years. And uh, for whatever reason, that night we went out and tried out the new park. He hadn't been there yet. I'd been there once. So we just kind of had fun at the park together and got our last session in. What do you think? Like um, I've dealt, I've had like some real heavy blows. I haven't had a brother or my parents, but like some of my best friends have, have left way too soon and unexpectedly. Yeah. I've From where I stand, I know you're in pain and stuff, but you've yeah. been visibly you've been pretty positive and like, you know, I've been pretty impressed with the way you've been dealing with it and stuff. Even just doing this interview this recently, we could have pushed it back and you were down to do it and stuff. I'm just wondering what could you say for other people that maybe could be helpful for, for them that's that you use as your like driving force to get through this like horrible time. Pretty much just taking it one day at a time. I mean, Mm. it, course comes in waves you get this roller coasters of emotion where it'll just hit you all of a sudden like the reality of it but um what's been helping the most i mean right off the bat we had people coming over to carissa's parents house in la habra all the close friends came over and we just you know stood around in the backyard hung out told stories gave hugs helped anyone that was going through it and um it was just really good having that whole support system and us just all being there together because mm. we all love jonas and um yeah be there for each other and then um i don't know after that just trying to get skating as much as possible Hmm. because a lot of people that you know were hurting too they just wanted to go out and and film get clips for jonas we just go hit a park together have a good session and uh just make it like old times as much as possible and even break out a few tricks that he used to do Hmm. you know one of the first things we did was go back and get his back on um that last session at night that we had together at the very end of the night, he um, did a nose bunk on this like bump to like a, a big cement round ball that they had at the park. It's at the La Puente Park. And it's just a little kicker to a cement ball. And uh, he got the nose bunk on it. And I was like, well, I'll try to get your back. And I went and tried it. And uh, it was it gets a little dark for me at night. So I can't see. They had lights on, but the lights only stay on until 10. Uh-huh. And I think at that point I had like maybe five minutes left before they were going to shut the lights off. So I'm trying to get myself together enough to do it. And uh, I was getting the nose bunk, but it kept rolling over the backside of that ball. And I couldn't get the bunk early enough to like get you to bounce up. You know, yep. every time I for it, it was like already going away. So, and it just got harder to get the speed right. Cause you can't go fast at it. You have to go slow enough to hit it, but fast enough to clear your back wheels. So, and also that's coming off a quarter pipe. Like I don't like and getting set. Yeah. So, and just everything just wasn't coming together. So I'm like, you know what? And then they shut the lights off on me before I got it. So I was like, I'll get it next time, you know? And we're all right. I was completely fine with not getting it because I knew we'd, we'd come back and get it. And then um, after he passed away, we went out on my birthday on the 14th. And Pat Chinita came with me. Um, we had our buddy Nate. 
and um, our buddy Chris Valdez, and we all got the nose bonk for him back to back, just all in a row. All four of us Sick. got it. And uh, Paul Luna was filming it for us. And uh, it all just came out super good. It was like just a rad tribute to to be able to go back and, and do that for him, you know? Right. It felt good. Okay, good. Yeah, those are the same type of vibes that, uh, you know, me and McKenny were skating a lot together with Eric J and then he passed and we're like, we got to go do this thing for him. You know, you almost kind of like make a mission to do a tribute for right. however it is for you to get it, get it through. Purpose, and it's a positive purpose, you know? Right. Yeah. A lot to, to do stuff in their honor that you think they would like, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. I've been trying to just incorporate some of the tricks that he used to do. Like, I usually would do backside heel flips and he was a backside kickflip guy, you know? Okay. So I'll throw in some backside flips for him. And then um, I'm going to try one of these days coming up to get his uh, nollie frontside heel flips. He had those better than anybody I've ever seen. Right. So he could do them over picnic tables and stuff. And it's like, I don't know how he would just do it. They just would go up to his feet like magic. And um, I had at one point figured out how to do them, but I liked nollie backside kickflips better. You know, we were complete opposites on a lot of tricks, you know? Huh. Like even for my frontside 360s, he had backside 360s just good. Yeah, as far as the tricks go, like we were always just complete opposites on stuff. It was weird. Huh. Okay, just the opposite. Fuck. Um. So, what's up with Ray Brothers? Well, that was um the brand that we were doing together, um Ray Bros brand, and um yeah, it was just I was doing all the design work and we would just come up with ideas together, make our products and sell them. We were doing it all ourselves, so. Um, yeah, if people ordered from Ray Bros, they were getting it directly from us. It would be us like, you know, receiving the order out of the garage, going down to the local post office and sending it out. So we could, we'd add in a bunch of extras. Like Jonas was big on, um, getting these, um, sunglasses, like laser engraved and he had keychains that he would make all this like extra stuff that we could do that, um, um, it was just a cool bonus that we could throw in the packages for everybody. Right. So that ordered from us, got extra stuff that was directly from him and I just for the love of um, pretty much just saying thank you for ordering with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was just cool to be able to add in that stuff for everybody. Yeah. I do that sometimes too. Like I'll have a stack of stuff on my desk. I'll just be like, here, I don't here, right. put this in, add it to it. And see, they'll be like, wait, I, oh, rad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool vibe. Are you going to, what's your plans right now? Are you got some stuff going or thinking that you're going to try to like put out a little video or put, what are you doing? Right now, as far as the brand goes, we were right in between um, making the next run. We were getting our designs and ideas together. Mm. The workshops were all jammed up. So it was going to be hard to get boards right away because we Mm -hmm. had sold everything that we had as far as boards right before um, Christmas break hit for some reason, just everyone started hitting us up all at the same time and ordered all of all the stuff we had in stock. Oh, so wow. when we went to order COVID hit and uh, it jammed everybody up. So mm-hmm. we decided that we're just going to shift over into soft goods and make shirts and hats and more of our sunglasses and whatever else we can make while the boards um, kind of open back up. You know, we needed uh, to get something through the wood shop a little faster. Yeah. So, yeah, in the meantime, rather than sitting and doing nothing, we were just going to make a lot more um, shirts and hats and whatever else we could make. But um, we've even shifted now. I, I made a, a little Shaka logo with Jonas's name in it. I don't know if you saw that. 
Yeah. It has like A-O-N-A-S. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a run of that stuff just in his honor. And uh, just so people can have something with his name on it that they can wear proudly and uh, enjoy about skate. So it just has like a, a good vibe and a good message to it. And I'm going to get that on as much stuff as I can right now, just so we have something that everyone can enjoy mm-hmm. and figure out what's up from there. Um, I have been talking with the um, wood shops about getting some stuff made. Um, I'm going to see if I can reissue one of Jonas's boards. Um, the, the first one that popped into our heads was doing the Indiana Jonas one. Oh shit! Well, it was a graphic drawn by John Lucero. Sick. It was going to be a black label board, but Jonas ended up leaving black label and writing for clean skateboards. Uh-huh. So that came out as a clean skateboard. And um, I haven't talked to John yet and gotten his ideas about it, but it would be rad to reissue that as yeah. a black label board now, oh. and maybe a black label Ray Bros collab. Or however it works out, but um, that yeah. that board should have and still can be a black label graphic because John drew it himself, right? And uh, it's a rad board. So uh, I'll talk I to John. I'll reach out to him though about doing it because I I think it's just the right thing to do. I think it'd be rad and people would want it. It'd That'd be a be good amazing. one, or you could skate it and put it up after you're done skating it. You know? Yeah. What do, you, what do you think it is? Is it the COVID that like? Boards are very hard right now to to get right. Like the, just all the wood shops got backed up. Some of the wood shops um, had to limit their production, so they were getting backed up on all their orders because they weren't allowed to have like the whole team working indoors because uh-huh. it that not possible. And okay, it was against regulations. You could get heavily fined if you were still operating as business as usual without following their guidelines. Right. So. Know that for a while some of the wood shops were working with just like a skeleton crew just to try to fill some of the orders that were already like pre-ordered mm-hmm. and then they weren't taking any more orders for a while because they were already just trying to catch up right so i think they're starting to open back up again and maybe they're starting to get caught up but the wood shops even went through some changes i mean they were even raising their prices on people because the demand was so high and just a lot of strangeness on getting boards so okay. and wood shops were even getting boards from other wood shops that had extra stock so they could fill their orders. So not everybody was getting exactly what they thought they were getting, you yeah. know, all weirdness. So we, we always prided ourselves on having the best boards. So we try to get the best quality we can. And we're always on top of it because we're skating them ourselves. So if we start breaking boards, we know like someone switched the glue or something's off mm-hmm. and we'll make go right to the source and handle it right away huh. and um, make sure that everything's up to par. So quality is so important. Like when you wouldn't know by looking at it, you have to skate it to find out. That's where rad that we're able to skate it. And uh, we know right away if something's been switched, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing with shirts and shit. Like the ones that you wash and then you can't wear them anymore versus the ones that fit you really comfortably. Like, yeah, it's $2 difference per shirt or something, but it's a lot of quality that you don't want to sleep on. So I appreciate the same things. We did the same with the shirts. Like if you get the the high quality soft ones, they end up shrinking up and I can't wear them. Like I wear a large in almost everything, but if it's the soft quality, like um, usually the higher NT, I wash it once and all of a sudden my whole sleeve is risen up like two inches. Yeah. And I'm throwing up my nice farmer's tan. I just can't wear those ones anymore. Yeah. So still preferred like the old school Gildan ones. There's like the Gildan ultra cotton that just holds its shape, holds its fit. And, uh, that's what all of our shirts have been that. 
<laughs> once we dialed it in, yeah, they're the old school. Like they're not as soft as, uh, you know, the under tees that people like to wear, right. but they last a long time. They don't shrink and you can wear them until they get holes in them. You know, that's the key. So that's, if they uh, shrink and you're just like, it sucks. Yeah, feels bad. Yeah. yeah. So I want people to get their money's worth so when they buy something they want it. We want it to last. So uh-huh. we found it worked and we're going to stick with that. Okay. You guys got a website like raybros.com or something? Yeah. Raybros.com takes you straight to our stuff. It was a, a big cartel site. We used to have the website up separately, but um, however it was being hosted, ended up not working out. So now it just links directly to the big cartel because we were out of all the boards and you know, even the hats sold out. We had sunglasses up. I got to make some more of the sunglasses because those just recently sold out. So Rad. If we could keep up with demand and just make more stuff, you know, we'd move a lot more product, but that's pretty much just making more work for myself because I'm the one that ships it all out anyway. Yeah. So uh, we're okay with being a, a smaller brand and controlling our growth, you know? Yeah. But uh, the demand is always there. And um, we just try to put out the best stuff we can and, and stoke everyone out who orders. So Sick. when um, things start popping back up on the site, I always let people know. So it'll take a little while to get boards back in there, but we should have shirts and hopefully hats relatively soon, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Cause we got Jonas's services coming up on uh, Wednesday, May 12th oh. in Huntington beach. Okay. We ran called sea legs and um, it's just a outdoor venue right on the beach where we're going to be able to see a sunset, hopefully feed everybody, have some drinks and um, have like, you know, a slideshow and some video stuff playing. And, um, we even just recently talked to Adrian Domain. I don't, you listen to his uh, Lockdown Luau's on Sundays? No. Uh, every three o'clock on Sunday on Instagram, he plays live uh, ukulele music. No way. Like, kinds of different styles on the ukulele. Like, oh, I got to check it. And, like misfit songs to like old uh, Japanese Hawaiian songs, you know, like all the classics, but all the way through, he'll play 80s music too. And okay. um, yeah, it's just all kinds of fun stuff. Well, we went and saw him recently down in Oceanside for his first live show back, like at an open air venue down there at uh, Stone Brewing Company. And um, I just asked him at the end of the show if he had any interest or availability to come and play at Jonas's thing. And uh, he said he's into it. So, you know, we'll have oh, cool. him. In. Um, I'm going to reach out to a few other people and see if anybody else wants to get up there and play a little something, you know. Sure. Hopefully it related, you know, try to hook up our people. Yeah, uh, we'll see. But it should be a good gathering. Everyone's going to wear their best Hawaiian shirt that day. And mm-hmm. we'll just beach. We'll see a sunset for Jonas and uh, have a toast. And hopefully it all goes well. Yeah. Okay. Well, fuck yeah, dude. Be strong on that. I know, like you said, every day is a new adventure. I swear the cliches are so true about living each day because some days I wake up every morning. I get my coffee first thing. I need coffee. It's my only addiction. Right. I, I quit everything but coffee and i'm drinking my coffee and like right when you start kind of feeling like okay i'm alive i'm awake right each day i feel a different feeling like this morning maybe i was a little depressed and you feel that wash over you talk about but some days you're just amped like oh today i'm gonna do this and you start building on it and each day is different and I, I've really been focusing on negative days as today is a bad day but tomorrow is not you know? Yeah, that, those feelings don't last forever. And I know for me, honestly, just the worst of it is when you're driving by yourself, yeah. you know, and you just have nothing but your thoughts and no one 
else there to talk to or anything and just you know even certain songs will pop in and get you thinking get your mind going it'll just hit you all of a sudden and uh that's okay i mean that's part of it it's part of dealing with it absolutely yeah as strong as you want to be or you know let it go it's all good like whatever works for you like i'm doing my best to be strong for everybody because so many people are hurting over the loss of jonas like even my older brother and my mom Mm -hmm. being strong for them that's tough and then even my kids like you know jonas lived here with us at our house and um so they knew him as uncle jobo and he was here every day for them and they would play with him and go out man wash his car with him out in front like Mm -hmm. they were just always they were always hanging on him and climbing on him and my daughter Jaden would get them to do like arts and crafts projects with them. Like, you know, and she was just always really demanding of his time, but he was always so generous with it, you know, yeah. and he always playing around. You could tell, even when he's tired from a day's work, he comes in, our dog Penny would jump right on his lap and just be all up in his business. Then Jaden would come over. Hey, I want you to do this. And you know, instantly just all of this madness going on, but he was always with a smile, just loving it. Damn it. So he was special, you know? Yeah. I know. I talked to uh, Frank Gerwer actually the day after it happened, and he was. I I, I kind of didn't got close, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't really know. I I knew like Hammocky was my homie, so I was like, I was like, dude, and he was like, he was like Joe, and I thought Joe Hammocky. He's like Jonas, and he he was devastated. So I'm sure he sends his love and stuff like. Yeah, he was definitely down. Um, like Jonas just got to know people and um, would really spend time getting to know them and hang out deep. Like they'd go do fun stuff together and they'd get uh, into stuff they'd never gotten into their whole lives. You know, Jonas uh, about getting people out to do stuff they weren't accustomed he, to. You know? Yeah, he was like the life of the party kind of guy. Like yeah. if he was there, it was a fun time. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, OK, you're here. Let's do this. Damn. Yeah. Um, do you got a song or t- that we can end with that would be a stoke for you to put on an end? We could dedicate it to him or you could just play one of your favorite songs or whatever. Well, I know it's it's an odd one because it wouldn't have been my choice. But um, even on the night that it happened, I had to move his car. I had to like he had his keys in his pocket. The cops were going to take the keys and his wallet and his phone and everything is all going into evidence but his car was on the street and in our neighborhood, they do street sweeping every, you know, first and third Monday. And if I can't have his keys and move his car, it's just going to start racking up tickets. So I asked if I could borrow the keys to move his car just into the driveway and pull it up and I'd work it out from there, but at least it's off the street. So I go in and I start his car and the song, um, that eighties cheesy song. Don't you forget about me by simple mind that as soon as I turn the key, those words came on. Don't you forget wow. me. And I was like, for real? <laughs> like, just like that? So I, like, you know, got out of the end of the street, turn around, pull it in the driveway. And I told uh, all of our family that was standing there, like, for real, this, this just popped on right now. And um, I, for whatever reason, it just keep, it keeps playing more often than any song. Like, I keep huh. hearing it. And I hadn't heard that song in years, I don't think. I don't know why. Maybe a movie came out recently that used it again. I have no idea. But I just mm-hmm. keep it. As so, a breakfast club. Yeah, breakfast club song. Exactly. And like yeah. that wouldn't have been on my radar as something to use for Jonas. Because like there's plenty of other songs that are probably more fitting. But that's the one that just popped in right when I turned the key. Oh, so, man. Yeah, something to that, you know. And also the Metallica song, um, Nothing Else Matters. Uh-huh. 
that one, for whatever reason, that the words have been fitting in with with him and my relationship, you know, and it's even forever trusting who you are. But like for me, it works better forever trust in who you are, mm-hmm. forever trust in who we are, because that's what this song is like forever trust in who we are and nothing else matters. Just keep going exactly as we were, you know? Yeah. For sure. On those same lines, like when Preston died and, and, and a couple other people, like it hit me fucking hard. And, uh, the, the, the message was always like, you think they want to, do you think they're looking down going, Oh, stoked. Schmidt, he's bummed. Like he, right. he's paying homage to me. He's bummed. Like nobody's thinking like that. They want you to just keep doing what you were doing and it's hard, but you got to do it. And, and, if you want to say do it for the ones that aren't here, whatever you want to use to to help you get through that, that's up to you. But like, don't change your path. Like, keep doing what you've been doing. And and yeah. sometimes for me, just diving into the work is the best thing. It's like this is my love, so this is what's going to surround me with the best vibes. And like, yeah. we've built such a fucking sick network of family and people that matter and experiences and stuff. And we've all intertwined that we can, you know, utilize our vines and our branches to fucking like keep the tree up, you know? Yeah. Not I've found like getting out and doing stuff, just getting out in the world and mixing with people like he used to do. He was everywhere. Whenever there was a skate event, he'd always be there. Mm-hmm. If he could, there's multiple events in the day, he would break it up and do them both, you know? So, Whew. um, he would always go down to that basic bowl every year and huh. do their down there. And he always wanted me to go down there with him. And for whatever reason, I was never able to go. There's always something in the way. Like I can't do it because of this or uh-huh. because of that Always something. And, uh, this year I went down huh. and just did it for him. And it was awesome. Ran into all kinds of people that I know and love and like, you know, got to give them a hug and be there for them too. And just share stories. And it just felt like I was in the right place at the right time again, you know? So just getting out and doing stuff that he would have done puts me where I'm supposed to be anyway, mm-hmm. you know? And then, um, yeah, just, we have even made the mission out to the nude bowl. We hadn't been out there oh. ever. And, um, someone, That's a fun one. I guess someone named Jackie danger on Instagram had gone and done a full mural and dedicated it to Jonas, to Joe, oh. to Grasso and to Sasha Steinhorst. So it was a fresh paint job for the whole pool. So, we made the mission out there and went and checked it. Me and um, Pat Chinita and our buddy Nate. Nice. Just, you know, spent the morning out there while the kids were in school. Missioned out there, got some pictures and uh, filmed a couple clips and then came home. But it was a rad little mission. Just okay. to go see it fresh. Fuck so, yeah. And again, it felt like you're just doing the right things at the right time. Just being out there. How's Chinit? He's good? Doing good. Yeah. He's got his own little kid at home and, um, when our kids are both in school, we get to go out and skate. So, you know, we'll pop out for the whole time and uh, just get some clips. But he's amazing still, like on a skateboard. Uh, uh, unbeatable, you know, he's uh, consistent and just has everything. So it's rad. Yeah. I used to kick it with him a little bit because uh, Butcher was on Reef with Janita. And so we would all go out and yeah. film. I went down to what is it? Garden Grove where he lived. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we went in like the Disneyland ledges and just like I'm down in yep. his zone. It was fun. Um, yeah, he's got okay. fun. Last question. Where do I take my fiance soon to be wife for my honeymoon? Uh, yeah, well, have you been to the islands? Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're but, thinking. Um, 
We're thinking Maui. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, what? What are you thinking? When is it? Uh, we get married in August. So mm-hmm. my my loose plan is like, what if we push it back till like November ish, where it's maybe whale season because she's never seen whales, and then right. we and then it's kind of getting winter here, and it's a nice time to go to a warm zone. Yeah, but I don't know. We're, we wanted to go to Fiji, but like we just heard like the COVID just hit there actually. And it's pretty right. gnarly and flying out of the country right now just feels a little like, I don't know, kind of wanting to keep it in the U S maybe. And then do some of those yeah. You could hit Fiji on your way to Australia, maybe, or make a bigger right. trip, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. We have a family in uh, Oahu on the oh. North shore, Oliva. So we're going to be going over there to go um, celebrate Jonas's birthday that was coming up um, July 26th. So that, and um, yeah, they're always out there. My mom and my grandmother live out there. Oh, sick. Out at the Haliva surf condos. There's a, like their own picnic table out in the back, right on the, right on the edge of the sand. And Uh you get beautiful sunsets every night. They're out there with their poo-poos and just hanging out with everybody. So we're going to go join them. That's on the, like uh, or of Oahu, so it's right uh, by Rainbow Bridge and the the Haleiwa Boat Harbor and all that stuff. Is that where like kind of where they film Lost? Uh, I think that's right on the other side. That's like the northern side. There's some of those uh, really steep green mountains and stuff. Yeah, and that's like the I think the northeast side. So they're more by like Turtle Bay and like they're even um further west of Turtle Bay. Oh. Turtle Bay is even considered on that northern side yeah yeah it like on the way um if you go from turtle bay and go over rainbow bridge you make a right before you get to um that haliva town and they're down there i love it past ali'i beach we used to go there as kids and um we had three summers out there in a row just the whole um summer break from school just hanging out on the beach and um learning how to surf and playing around out there sick you skate a wallows uh we got our boards and brought them to wallows and my grandmother wouldn't let us climb the fence because it said no trespass <laughs> and she was worried that like what if the water comes down you need uh, to, she wanted us to go there with a local who knew what was up okay but we did skate the schofield barracks um those the cement quarter pipes that gons always used to skate oh yeah photos of like ron chapman out there and i guess oblo has lots of photos from out there because uh with our dad being in the army we had the military like the brat cards so we could get on the base so we could skate it. And they even had a, like a little mini ramp in there at some point, like maybe a six foot, pretty narrow wooden mini ramp on the same um, grounds as the, one of the quarter pipes. Mm. But I guess a few of those on the Island, there were like maybe four or five. I only thought there was the one, but huh. there's a few. Yeah, Obli- they have that DIY with the kind of like a little small full pipe thing that yeah. everyone. Yeah. We've seen that. Um, Jonas got to skate that one. I don't think I got to skate in there yet, but um, huh. we skated park that's across the street so the one that's right by a pipeline i guess yeah my body doesn't feel better anywhere than hawaii i just feel like my everything just feels so good out there fucking love it well it's weird though you go out there and it doesn't make you want to skate yeah yeah the weather everything about it just being in board shorts and flip-flops it's (laughs) not you're trying to go out there and skate but if you do parks and stuff you always have a good time but it's not on the same level as like skating at home. It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not taking it seriously or trying to film and get some hard video clip. But mm-hmm. it's definitely fun to get out and roll and just you know 
feel the Hawaiian breeze, you know, like you can definitely have a good time. Fuck yeah. I, my vote would be Oahu for you. Oh, Oahu. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go to the sleepy town in Haleiwa and, and hang out with the locals. All right. Well, we're going to look into this. We're, it's, I'm almost positive it's going to be one of the islands and it might right. be two of the islands. Like we right. do a combo thing or something. Yeah. We're going to do Oahu first and then go to Maui after because we have uh, some more family on Maui in Kihei. Sure. And uh, they're going out there for like a, one of their cousin's anniversaries, mm-hmm. like a wedding anniversary. So we're going to go hang out with them after. Nice. So we're definitely Oahu first for a good little stretch. That'll be good for you guys. Definitely good. Get some good vibes. Well, dude, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Nothing but respect, love, fucking stay strong and stay up and just fucking whatever. I don't know. We're all having a rough year and some of us are having rougher ones than others, but I feel like kind of the light is at the end of the tunnel though. I feel like we just got vaccinated and we're like feeling better mentally about like getting out and kind of hanging with people, which we were in San Francisco. It's just been gnarly, like living in a two bedroom apartment, no yard. You're just like boy in the bubble syndrome. So I feel, I feel the nice weather coming. I feel like being outside is, it's just all this stuff is coming. So hopefully things are going to really switch for a like, positive end of the year yeah i know as rough as it's been i actually feel that too like things are things are coming together it, it's almost for me personally i feel like the universe is apologizing for how bad that was yeah. and they're trying to make better because weird things are just coming together and good things are happening so mm-hmm. there's actually some positive stuff coming up in the future that you know we have something to look forward to and we're going to do it all in jonas's honor you know we'll yeah do it for everyone that that we're missing now, you know, do it for Joe, do it for Grasso, do it for Jake, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be the best us that we can be and yeah. uh, do it together, you know? Fuck. That's good words. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you. Uh, yeah. We'll kick it off with, don't you forget about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do it. All right. Cheers. And uh, we're not going to air this until you've talked to Lucero. All Take right. care, buddy. Yeah, good talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks again.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews in a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.